This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on the Goop list, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Don't hold anything too tightly. Just wish for it, want it, let it come from the intention of real truth for you, and then let it go. For me, our soul is like, it's unbound, it's limitless, but we will use words to limit ourselves. When people stop believing that somebody's got your back or Superman's coming, we turn to ourselves and that's where you become empowered. Courageous participation attracts positive things. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow and this is the Goop Podcast where we bring together visionaries, scientists, healers, artists, and seekers. I'm so grateful that I get to interview these extraordinary thought leaders and share their wisdom with you. And I love listening to the conversations that are led by my co-host and dear friend, Cleo Wade. Cleo is a beautiful poet and author. I deeply admire her and the way she keeps her heart open to the world. Together, we believe that engaging in open-minded, honest, and sometimes difficult conversations has the power to change our lives. All right, over to Cleo. Justina Blakeney is a designer, artist, a New York Times bestselling author, and the founder and creative director of Jungalo, her award-winning home decor brand. I am such a fan of Justina and her work which focuses on bold patterns, vibrant colors, and of course, many, many plants. Today, our conversation begins with Justina's journey behind how she became interested in design and the roots that led her to create her unique style and carve a path on her own terms. We talked about evolution, creativity, being gentle with ourselves when we're trying to do a big thing, and learning to face what's uncomfortable. I loved getting to catch up with Justina today, and as always, she and this conversation brought such a smile to my face. Okay, let's get to Justina Blakeney. I'm really grateful that you made the time, and one of the things that really surprised me about doing this podcast was that I was really excited to talk to people who design spaces. I have a friend who says that they don't kind of follow the kind of stereotypical or or most common way of wellness, which is like juice or yoga or whatever. She was like, I think about things that I want to look at that make me feel well. And so my friend says that her wellness is going to a museum. It's going to look at her kids' faces. She's like, I'm so stimulated and I have such a feeling of wellness from being around beauty. Mm. I'd never thought about that. And then as I was doing the pod, I was like, I'm really attracted to talking to people about the beauty of spaces and this, these spaces of it, of deep expression. And I think how that makes us feel well. I guess I want to open with what is your story and how did you become interested in design and this really beautiful and I think very singular aesthetic that you've created. I mean, I told you, I, I wrote you an email a, a, like a year ago. I don't know if you remember where I literally was like, I just have to tell you I was on Jungalo and it is just such a wonderful, happy making space. It just made me smile. It made me smile to be in the world you've created. And I'd love to kind of go through the story of how it started as an idea and has been able to become this world. Thank you. Thank you so much. I love this like entry point into my world because I do think that 
maybe not as explicitly as as the way your friend kind of framed it, but I do think of beauty as just a really important part of joy and what makes one's quality of life sort of good. (laughs) Um, I think about that a lot. And I think really, probably I realized that from a very, very young age because we traveled a lot. Mm. And I think having had an opportunity to see a lot of different ways of living in different pockets of the world from a very young age got me really tuned into, oh, but in Switzerland, they do it like this. And in Italy, they do it like this. But in Indonesia, it's like this. And in Morocco, they do this. And I just sort of had a little bit of like a worldview about things that I felt made me feel good or made me light up or that sort of ignited my soul in some kind of special way. And I think that's where I initially really started to kind of pay more attention to how to make my my world more beautiful. But then with Jungalo, it's such an unwritten story, <laughs> like such a unplanned little chapter by chapter unfolding of of how Jungalo came to be. And it really started with me coming back to living in Los Angeles after having lived for seven years in Italy and two years in New York. I did not York. know that about you. <laughs> yeah. I'm full of surprises. How do you, why, when, this is like all of a sudden I feel like I'm watching like a Netflix show. <laughs> What? (laughs) Which part of Italy? I lived in Florence. Basically, I I did my junior year abroad there when I was studying, when I was at UCLA. I was studying world arts and cultures, and I wanted to do my year abroad in Italy. So I did that and just fell in love. I fell in love with the way of life. I fell in love with a boy. I fell in love with two-hour lunch breaks and (laughs) two-euro wine. You know, it was just like all like... I was feeling it. And so after I graduated from UCLA, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I just knew that I didn't want to do it here in the U.S. I wanted to do it somewhere else. So my sister, Faith, who's also a seeker and a creative and a designer and an incredible human, we just decided to go together. And so we packed up and we moved to Italy. Wow. Yeah. As someone with two daughters that are close in age, I just, you all of a sudden have that feeling in your heart where you're like, oh, I hope that for my daughters that they like always have an adventure buddy in one another. Yeah, we definitely have that. And, you know, we've had our moments of not being close and our Mm. moments of being extra close. And so you got to also roll with the the ebb and flow yeah. of of sisterhood, which yeah. is a beautiful thing. But yeah, we're Not super without close. complication. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but of that's course. also the beauty of yeah. this adventure that we're on here. So we lived in Italy. And the first year that we were there, both of us who've always been drawn to design, we were like, we're going to study fashion also, because in order to stay there legally, we had to be enrolled in school. So We enrolled in a fashion program and it was really fun. And with our student visas, we got to work part time. So we were waitressing and doing oddball jobs and things like that and going to school. And one thing led to another and we kind of decided that we wanted to stay. And so my boyfriend at the time, Danilo, was studying to be a lawyer. So he helped us kind of navigate this very bureaucratic, complicated Italian (laughs) system, non-system system. And what we ended up doing was creating an Italian business and hiring ourselves as the CEOs to be able to get work visas to stay. Oh my God, what a scam. (laughs) I'm down. such a good scam. I still don't (laughs) even know how we figured it out. I'm like, but it it was not without like, we hustled to, to figure it all out. And we like spent, you know, eight hours on the floor at La Questura, like, you know, with all the immigrants trying, you know, getting our pay. It was like a whole wow. thing. But but we did it. And yeah, ended up staying for almost eight years. And what we did was that we opened up a little store. We opened up a little boutique in the historical center of Florence. And were you selling 
Des- clothing was it design yes. it was a little bit of everything it was just kind of like we grew up in berkeley and so we had been kind of like thrifting Cute and- little hippie <laughs> little hip and like we were like we kind of want to open a vintage store there were no vintage stores at all in florence when we lived there at the wow. time vintage just wasn't at the time really a part of italian culture you know like used things weren't really thought of in that way they also don't have as much of a throwaway culture as we do here so there wasn't as quick of a like cycle of getting rid of things and as as there is here but what we slowly found was a florence has a really big foreign population a lot of american students and you know students from all over the world and so we're like there there's going to be a market for this so we opened a little vintage boutique and we had Vintage stuff and mid-century modern, like auger d'art and little mm. pieces of furniture. And that was all kind of in rotation and it was super cute and designy. And we also then started kind of upcycling a lot of the clothing and making new things. So we had our own like recycled fashion line there as well. And we had a little upstairs and I had a sewing machine. And when it was slow, I would just sew and make things. And, and we would go downstairs and try and sell them. And that was the life for What I think time. is so interesting and cool about you is that you, I feel that you could have chosen any vessel because you just have so much creative energy. I feel like even I know that our listeners can't see you right now but you're in an art studio and I see paints and I see some of your beautiful paintings and I love seeing you create art when you put it kind of the process of your art making and your Instagram stories and you're creating portraits with these unlikely objects and not just paint and these really different types of mixed media and it's really cool to be friends with somebody like that because you're reminded that this kind of creative energy is always buzzing through us looking for ways Mm -hmm. to come out And I guess I wonder, like, how do you decide how to focus it when and what vessel you want to put it in? Because, you know, even the idea of you having this eclectic shop as a young person in Florence, it's so cool. And I and I really see that I see that energy of like, I'd go upstairs and sew, or I do this or I'd grab this or (laughs) we, you know, and and I think what so many creatives struggle with is like, how do I focus it into a business? Because I think you know, the natural flow of creativity is actually that it wants to, I feel at times, be really spontaneous and Mm -hmm. have a lot of space for play and not really have the confines of nine to five as much. What I guess it would be your advice to someone who is, you know, kind of feeling very creative and juicy and then is trying to decide, you know, the best manifestation for that in their lives right now. What surfaces for me is that I think the reason why I became an entrepreneur was because I like couldn't really figure out how to put myself in a single box or a single lane. And so I figured if I was my own boss, then when I wanted to try something new or pivot or expand sort of the way I was thinking about the business, that I would just be able to do that and try that. I think of being a business owner and being a professional artist as a container for all different manners of my creative expression. And I try to allow myself as much space and flexibility and freedom within that as possible. I also don't really hear people talking about business as a creative enterprise very much. I think that a lot of people, and I definitely for a long time had sort of the stereotype of being a business owner or running a business as a very, like it's corporate, it's math, it's, mm-hmm. it's you know, very- I'm stream- turning off this part of my brain to put on this part of my exactly. brain. Exactly. And I think what I've really discovered over the years is that being a business owner is an extraordinarily creative enterprise. And so if I can channel my creativity into being able to create like a vessel that allows me to express my creativity in so many different ways and make money while doing it, then that's sort of what I'm going to try and do. Mm. <laughs> so I really reject being pigeonholed, which is which is why I think I really feel comfortable now after years as being called an artist, because it just feels very expansive. 
and it feels like I can fit like the fact that I like to paint and sew and write and photograph and design and decorate and all of those things that feels like I can fit in that bucket without me having to explain too much or overthink it or feel like, oh, I can't do this because I'm in this other lane right now. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on The Goop List, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. I think also something that I love that you're describing is this abundant nature of when it comes to ideas and creativity. And I think a lot of the time we struggle because we apply scarcity to the idea, our time, the thing. And, you know, to me, as someone who also feels that way, I love to pick up my paints and paint, or I love to, you know, kind of sew little things for my daughters or try something new, or all of my girlfriends have lately gotten into like a pottery thing. I don't know if you've gone through that phase yet. I'm in it too. But I, you know, I love this kind of living, breathing, creative way of life. And I think a lot of the times people are like, well, I can't do that because I think this is the better idea and I've got to do this. And it's like, there can be time for all of it. And Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of the times we either don't do the thing we love or we put things on the back burner that don't have to be on the back burner just because we're prioritizing. And prioritizing doesn't mean you throw away this kind of creative life you have. Mm. You can just say like, oh, this calling, like I am listening to myself enough to hear that like the call to paint is feeling louder than the call to design something else. And I think that when you're doing that, it does help you prioritize what you want. If you do want to be entrepreneurial about your creativity or your artistry, how to prioritize it and still allow the others to live. But I do think that comes from having a relationship with yourself where you're listening. So you actually just don't feel overwhelmed by the abundance of ideas and thoughts and interests. And because I do think that that's where I find that people get a little arrested mm-hmm. is in, oh, there's so many mm-hmm. things I feel or think or da, da, da. And then they don't end up, they're not able to do any of them. Yeah. Do you know? I do. I, I, I completely understand that. And I really subscribe to the abundance sort of model that you're talking about. I also am a very focused person. And I think that that really helps. And I think that that's a really important piece of being able to channel your Mm -hmm. creativity. I very rarely start something that I don't finish, even if I don't love the finished product. Mm -hmm. So like if I start a painting, like nine out of 10 times, I'm going to finish it. It might not mean that I love it at the end, but I feel as though as a creative, in order for me to really grow as a creative, I don't want to have a million unfinished projects. Yeah. I think the focus and the determination to start something and finish it out is really important. And then you can have that process where after you're done, you take a look and evaluate the finished product and say like, okay, here's what I love about it. Here's where I feel like I went wrong or I could do better. And I think that process, whether I'm designing a room or, you know, a product design for, you know, Jungalo or for our target line or any of these other things that I'm doing by being kind of focused and prolific, I'm really allowed to grow as an artist. And I think that learning that focus as an artist is different from needing to only focus on one medium 
or mm-hmm. needing to only say like, I'm only going to do pottery or I'm only going to do product design. The craft of being an artist as you sort of exercise your creativity and put it on paper or put it through whatever medium you're doing, you know, you as a writer, I'm sure you experience this as well, where you're, you just have to keep doing the work, you know? Well, and, and you have to, I think also know where you can find kind of little things within yourself that motivate you to completion. So for mm-hmm. me, for example, like one of my deepest values is that like, if I say I'm going to do something, I do it. Mm. Like I, that is something I really live by. I, I really believe in the value of, of words. And so I don't say things I don't mean. I don't say I'm going to do something with no intention of doing it. And that doesn't mean you can't change your mind or say, I hoped it would have been this way, but it was that way. But when it comes to my work, so one of the things I did, especially when I first started writing as my work was, I never said I was working on a book. I always said I was finishing a book Mm. (laughs) because I needed to have my own kind of thing, like reminder in my head of like, I'm going to kind of blend my value system around if I say something, like I mean what I say. Mm. And that motivated me to completion because I do think that the difference between an artist and a working artist is a de- is a desire to complete, mm. is a desire to say, like, because you can be in process or in practice every day for the rest of your life, but you have to have that, like, even when I, I you know, I have my book, my new book coming out soon, and I remember that when they said that they were like, you can look at it one more time for any changes. And I said, I actually can't. I already decided that like this is complete. And I was like, and I can't reopen it because I'm going to reopen an entirely new process into it if I reopen it. Mm -hmm. Like I have actually spiritually decided that this is complete and has to go into the world as it is. Mm -hmm. And like it is not no longer in a place to change. And I think knowing that also as a creative is really helpful because you're like, this thing, this is enough for here. And if not, I'll be in the midst of working on it Yes. Forever. Yes, exactly. I I really, really agree with you. I definitely have experienced that. I could feel that in my body as you were saying it, because I, I really think that, you know, with any creative endeavor, you can keep on working on it until mm-hmm. you die <laughs> right Truly. which may, and, maybe and, is what you want I don't know there's, but there's also always room for you know edit you know like you of right? course we always want to edit you know yeah. we we you know always want to change like there's I have never looked at one thing and I don't know if you ever have that experience but like I have never looked at anything I've ever made and been like just move that slightly <laughs> to the left or maybe I would just rephrase yeah. it that way and you're like no you just a lot of these things are a living record of your ideas and who yeah. you were at certain times and mm-hmm. you have to allow that to be real and honest and accurate if totally. you want to be a working artist I also think I think of it as akin to somebody I love right like someone I love is not necessarily you know, the perfect person Mm -hmm. in every way, but in their imperfections and in their quirks and in, you know, even things that annoy you a little bit, that's sort of like where the love lives. Yeah. So you're in your vintage store, you're going upstairs and you're sewing. (laughs) Yeah. And then what's the turning point that brings you back to America and where does the seed for Jungalo start to kind of either arrive or maybe it's always been there, but it starts to get bigger or louder. Yeah. So I've been in Italy for, you know, six plus almost seven years at this point, And we were having great fun with the vintage store, but we were never really making any kind of money. It was just sort of floating our, our life there. And at the time I was in a difficult relationship with a boyfriend that I felt like it was like a very toxic relationship. I felt like I, if I didn't leave, like that I was gonna be left in a bad place. And so I just sort of felt like I was ready to go. Also at the time, my sister had just found out that she was pregnant with my niece, Noah. Wow. And so 
it sort of was emerging that we were kind of going on our different journeys at this stage in our lives in our like mid 20s. And so I decided that it was time to go somewhere else. I wasn't sure where I was going to go at first. I thought maybe I would go to Spain. And eventually I decided to go to New York City. I'd always wanted to live in New York. And I had some homies who lived there. And I was like, let me just go, go to New York and we'll see what happens. So I ended up staying in Brooklyn for two years. Tough city. (laughs) Tough winters. Tough winters. Very tough after seven years in Italy. Of, You're like you know. opposite of two-hour lunches <laughs> and two-dollar wines. It was very opposite of that. I was very, very broke and cold and hot <laughs> and like all the things. And eventually, and in great part due to, oh my gosh, this is sounding like I'm following boys all over the world. But I was... No, it's like the Jane Fonda doc because it becomes about you in the end. <laughs> yes. So I was I was dating a guy at that time named Jason and I was really in love and he was here in LA and I so I was flying back and forth to I was like basically every paycheck of every little job and gig I got I was like flying out to LA so I was like enough I'm moving back to LA and you're not loving Brooklyn anyway I wasn't loving it it yeah. was it was it was tough I had a, I had a tough couple years there and so I moved back and I ended up getting a little one bedroom apartment in Las Feliz. And it was the first time I'd ever lived by myself. And I had been collecting and saving all these beautiful tchotchkes and art and, you know, objects and things from my time in New York and my time in Europe. And I just like decorated the hell out of this little apartment and you know, there's botanical wallpaper everywhere and a million plants and just all my creative juices and I'm painting and I'm sewing and I'm doing all my stuff in this little bungalow apartment. And I had some friends who I had met the first year that I lived in Italy, but who were other American students who I studied with there and they were over and visiting from various locations and we're all on the sofa and we're drinking wine and hanging out and you know my friends look around and they're like this is so cute I love how LA has all these little like bungalow apartments and this one's like so jungly it's like a jungle bungalow and then we were like it's a jungle (laughs) and the desire to combine words when you're younger, real. It's like, I had a now, living room. I had like a kitchen and a living room, and we called my first apartment the Litchen because <laughs> yes. there were just like wasn't a proper kitchen and it wasn't a proper living room, and there was somehow just like a couch in the middle of a kitchen with a trunk as a coffee table, and it was like you know a hundred square feet. It, it was like, and we're like the Litchen, and we the just Litchen. literally thought we were geniuses. I, I, but still in your think case, you are. You are. Yours is cool. Words together. I still think it's so fun. And like, yours is cool. Mine was the word Litchen. Like disgusting. Litchen like, is sounds, like feels like a leech. Or like... It does not feel good. It doesn't feel good. Jungalo feels like you invented a cool word. Like Litchen feels like you guys are just drunk. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure we've had a. I've had a lot of bad ideas too. So this this was one that I I liked and I enjoyed, and so I sort of held on to that moment and that word, and I just thought it was cool. I've always really loved plants, and also just really loved botanical motifs. Growing up, you know, I was born in '79, and my grandparents' home. Growing up, they lived here in LA, and it was like one of those homes where the wallpaper matched the furniture that matched the drapes that matched like everything matched and it was all a botanical pattern with like birds and palms and all and so I've just like that was kind of tattooed in my mind from that time and I've always been really drawn to that pattern on pattern on pattern vibe and so there was the word sitting there for the taking at the time for work I was really just like a creative person for hire for whatever so at the time I was like styling for magazines and I was designing logos and I was designing websites for people and I was consulting for people who were opening their own stores and kind of helping them with like branding and or starting blogs for them and it was just assisting it was a lot of small female-owned businesses and I was just kind of their go-to creative person and so I did that for 
for quite a few years and, um, and decided a couple years in that I should start my own blog. And so I started Jungalo as a blog and it was really just as a way to chronicle my creative ideas, maybe as a way to like get new clients for my mm. work, just to really, yeah, just to sort of journal. It was like a public journal at the time. And I just made one commitment to myself around it, which was just to do it five days a week. And I had no other like parameters around what it needed to be or anything. I was just like, just put something up there five days a week. And so that's how it started. And I think, you know, for for several years, that's really all it was. And I don't think very many people visited it. And it was a quiet place on the internet. And what started to happen little by little was that it just started to resonate. And my natural inspiration at that time and inclination was like, I was just getting really excited about interiors. So I loved sharing interiors. I loved sharing the work I was doing in interiors, which at the time was mostly styling. I didn't really have that many interior design clients. That's not really where my focus was. But as people started to get more attracted to my style, and I think my style was really stood out at the time from sort of what was de rigueur and what was happening on a lot of the design blogs because of I was embracing colors from different cultures. The wait is over. That's right. Season five of The Kardashians is here. Just when you thought life couldn't get any faster, they're punching it into overdrive. Chris, Courtney, Kim, Chloe, Kendall, and Kylie are back and continue to defy expectations in all their endeavors. So get ready to go behind the glitz and glamour of the most iconic family on television. The all-new season of The Kardashians premieres May 23rd, streaming on Hulu. I want to know, do you feel that your design philosophy and these this emphasis on bold and vibrant colors, do you think that's from your upbringing, from like your grandparents' house and in and, and your travels? Because I, I feel it probably was, but I also wonder, like, was part of it also like, I want to see this in the world, like a hat, like this color makes me feel good. Because some people I do think are like, this is a great idea or my this is my aesthetic or whatever. But for some people, I do think... It's more than that. It's like I always have something in my house that's mustard because like when I look at it, I just feel happy. Like there's something about yellow that is just it's vibrant and it makes you feel like the sun's going to come up tomorrow. (laughs) Is there something emotional about your philosophy as well as, you know, beyond the the kind of nostalgic or the inspiration of your life and travels? For sure. For sure. And I think that I wasn't necessarily aware of that for a long time. It was a lot more visceral. But, you know, I grew up with my both of my parents are developmental psychologists. I cannot believe you had to endure that. That is insane. Still Shout have out to, to endure it. Shout, Still yeah, exactly. To exactly. And your daily phone calls from dad. Shout out, shout out to your parents. They're amazing. I'm, I'm so grateful. And I think I just grew up with thinking about emotions and thinking about the way things make me feel in a different way than a lot of folks just because of the environment that we grew up in having having grown up with with parents that were psychologists. So I think like from the beginning, an emotional response, both from myself, but also from the people who I'm working with or who visit the spaces I'm in has always been sort of integral. It's like, well, what does this like make you feel like? Where do you want to go? Where do you want to go when you walk into this room? Where do you want to be? That approach, it just like made sense to me. And what didn't make sense to me was like creating a home or or a space to live in that was just about like what it looks like to other other people. Right. <laughs> like or like following a trend or, or things stuff. of yeah, yes, it was exactly. just like that was never exactly. that was or the right thing. Right. I think like, that people fall to that a lot in their homes where you're like, this is the right marble for your bathroom or this for your mm-hmm. da da da. And I was talking to someone recently where they were talking with a friend of theirs who had kind of, I think, just fallen too deeply into all of the kind of interior trends. Cause it's also hard because it becomes your algorithm. And then you just think that like, I'll just be happy if every single thing is gray and beige and whatever. 
And then they were saying that she that he was with his friend and she sat there being like, why does my house even look like this? Like, I don't know if I even like this because at times, you know, people think that the home is, they approach it almost from a utility standpoint, mm-hmm. yes. I think. Well, and it's expensive, right? A lot of the stuff in the home is expensive. So I think people are really afraid of making a, a, a like a bad financial decision, right? Because they're like, oh, I don't want to like buy marble that then like, you know, no one else is going to want to rebuy 10 years right. later or whatever it is. So I, I understand the trepidation with with that stuff. But I also feel like there's so many ways to make an impact on your home where you're not having to like change the marble out on your kitchen yeah. countertops. But I think I think what it comes down to for me is that when it comes to the place that you surround yourself with and the place that you live and what you're looking at all day long when you're home, it, to me, it's as visceral as, like, if there is a song on, like, that you don't like. <laughs> like, if, if there's music on that you like, you're like, I, ooh, I, I, I can't, I can't, I need to change the song. Like, I can't, I can't handle it. Or if there's something stinky. Like, to me, it's yeah. the same thing. It's like, like, what's in the fridge? What yeah, went bad like, you know, that, that feeling, you know, some people are more sensitive to different sensorial inputs, right? Yeah. But for me, if I'm in a, in a place that's like that doesn't resonate with me, with my soul. And I'm looking around and it, you know, it's as loud to me as if there's like some music on that, you mm-hmm. know, I don't know, for me, that might be like heavy metal or something, just something oh. that I, that I can't, I can't handle, you know, no so for some people that that's their thing. And that's all love. Everyone likes different stuff. But for me, being surrounded in a place that sort of fills my spirit it's it's like music. It's like beautiful music. Yeah. It's like it's like a, a sweet smell. It's it's like something that tastes great. It's it's that same thing, but it's just for my eyes, <laughs> right? And then it comes in through my eyes and it feeds the rest of my yeah. spirit. So, what's the first thing you make when you launch Jungle? So Jungle was a blog for a long time and then it started to get traction and people started to reach out to me for different types of partnerships and things like that. And um, the very first thing I made was a Jungalo hanging planter. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, plants have always been really centered in the Jungalo world because one of my values is about connecting human like the human nature connection bringing nature the feeling that you get when you're in nature bringing that into your home and and how can you sort of bridge that and so the very first thing that we made was the jungle hanging planter and it was a diamond shaped planter made out of recycled wood that you could hang your plants in at the time house plants were not popular at all (laughs) at all to the point where I had pitched a couple of books about houseplants and they all got rejected, like Like flat out. They were like, this is too too niche. This is too niche. This is too niche. This is too niche, which now I really laugh about because there's like so many books. There's like literal plant talk. There's like, oh, there's like (laughs) plant influencers. There's plant, there's like plant. But, but yeah, at the time it wasn't really a thing. So that was the very first product that we launched. And did you feel pressure to scale quickly or like, did you have that moment of like, I've had that before where I felt like all of these opportunities flooded in because of something I made and I felt that it I needed to be a certain way or do a certain thing. And only after going through it, I had, I paused and was like, okay, but what do I want my day to be like? Mm-hmm. Not what do like opportunities tell me my day could be like? Mm-hmm. And I think that's that was a really big turning point that I only had really, you know, I had it semi-recently. I think I had it right before the pandemic. I was like, do I want this? Like for me specifically, because, you know, as a writer, I was like, did, did I want that? Or mm-hmm. did the world just tell me I could have that? Right. And it's something I really love about your work is that you're so intentional in how you scale and how you, you know, like kind of give your focus time to things and still have time to play and create. And mm-hmm. so how did you manage to kind of do that? Yeah, I uh, candidly, I feel like it's pretty new for me too. 
I think for a long time I had that mindset of like, ooh, well, I have this opportunity now, but I don't know if I'm going to have this opportunity in a couple yeah. of years. Scarcity. Pri- yeah, scarcity. Too. And I'm the primary breadwinner in my, in my family. And, you know, the money stuff is real. And, and I think it's, it's really fairly recent that I'm like, it's not that I wasn't intentional before. I was very intentional and I still turned down things that didn't resonate, but I would take on all the things that did, even to the point of like burning myself out. Yeah, me too. And so I I think, honestly, it's probably been like a year that I've even been turning down things that resonate (laughs) (laughs) and that pay well. And I'm honestly so grateful that I'm in a place where I'm where where I can do that. Like I, I, I feel like I wasn't there were a lot of reasons why I wasn't able to do that up until up until now, but it has given me the space to, you know, paint, be more intentional, be more creative, spend more time with my kiddo, all of that. And I'm like also doing a lot of work on myself right now and, you know, meditation and morning hikes and what I'm also realizing. And that's become so clear to me is like, I was just thinking about this in the shower this morning. I was like, it's not hustle and flow for me. It's intention and flow. Yeah. That's I'm a just, great yeah, I just am like, I am, I can feel myself like the, the hustle vibe is like wearing real, real thin on me. And I'm, I'm like done. <laughs> I have, I mean, I, the entire first, my new book is in four parts and the entire first part or second part is called Worthy Rebellions. And it's all about like, I just can't. It's a, it's like all about repacing because I was like this, like grind. I mm-hmm. actually feel ground down by hustle and grind culture. Mm-hmm. And there has to be a different way to honor, embrace, and go after the things you're dreaming of without your body and your spirit being at the mercy of that for the pursuit of that goal. There just has to be another way, whether that's how you value things and your Mm -hmm. scale of your own life or your Mm -hmm. whatever it is, like whether it's, you know, creating a smaller life so you can have a deeper life and maybe that means it's then a bigger life. And I think that was really hard energetically, you know, four and five years ago, especially with the boom of like female founded businesses and, and, and women having also this incredible like moment of now that what we would call, have called like girl boss culture or whatever of like mm-hmm. being like we are the face of a business or a thing and especially some fewer women of color in these spaces where you just felt like you had to like own it and go and do and grind because like you're not just doing it for you and you're doing it for everyone else and and, and not only in your family but in the younger people around you or all these things and then you're like but I am flesh and bones. Mm-hmm. And like, what do I think of myself when I can't acknowledge that first and foremost? How do I honor my dreams and my body mm-hmm. and my soul all at yes. the same time? And I don't put any of those things on hold so that the other can happen. What's coming up for me is what we just talked about a few minutes ago with like being able to spiritually know when you're done with a work of art. Mm-hmm. Mm. I feel a parallel here for me with this where it was like knowing what enough means for me is very similar. It's like if I think of myself as a work of art, not that I'm ever done, but like the work continues and it goes on. But with the hustle and with the yeah. money yeah. and with the grind and with all of the instinct, you know, and all that stuff, yeah. you got to take a moment and say, well, when is it enough? Yeah. When is it enough? And when, when is it okay then to take a break or focus on other things or, or expand in, in a way that you didn't think you were going to expand or have a rebirth or get to know yourself again, or know that to, you know, cherish and own a major change of self is worth also prioritizing. And, and totally. so I think that we often are like kind of keep the status quo of everything else and yeah. push that part down. And yes. it just keeps kind of trying to rise up and bumping up against everything else. Yeah. And I think that's really 
hard because you're like, gosh, all we talk about is we're these evolving beings or this evolving beings. And then when we're having these major moments of evolution in our own lives, we're trying to like keep a lifestyle that we had before that moment as if it's not happening. And it's a denial of the moment, essentially. Yes, I think that's so true. And and just allowing yourself the space to grow and change, I think is so important. Like I've been telling myself for the last maybe like three or four years, oh, I hate managing people. I don't like being at the head of a team. I just want to be an artist. Like I want to do Jungalo, but I just want to be the creative in the business. I don't want to deal with all this other stuff. And I've been seeing a coach, like a bit like an executive coach for the past six months. And some of the things that are now starting to come up for me are like, oh, wow, I'm actually growing as a leader and as a manager. And I didn't even think I wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I, like I was like trying to avoid having to grow in that way. Yeah. But by like facing it head on and being like, look, this is this is an area of growth for me. It's been amazing because I'm also learning a lot about myself. And I'm kind of like walking into the fire, like facing the stuff that was very uncomfortable for me before. And that's like a big piece of the work I'm doing right now is just like, I feel discomfort. Okay, move towards it move yeah. towards it, like yeah. move towards it's the discomfort. It's information. Like, it's information. It's information. Figure out why it's making you feel that way and try and like just get in there. <laughs> yeah. It's, it is like cool when you can get to that place where you're like, everything within me is trying to tell me something. Mm-hmm. And like, I know enough to know that that's true. And now I just have to find a practice of deep listening that's consistent. Because a lot of the times it's like we do know that that's true, but it is laborious and it can be a little traumatizing. And there's a lot that goes on with like deciding to deeply and compassionately listen to what's yeah. going on. And it has of to be quiet sometimes. You have to have some moments of quiet in order to be able to have some moments of deep listening. And that's yeah. something that became really clear to me because when you're on that rat race vibe, and when you're busy all the time. And then you, you have your family in the mix and your kids yeah. and your, yeah. Then you just don't have time to even think about listening, mm-hmm. let alone actually do the work. And then we don't live in a world where that's being like modeled either. All you see is this hustle culture. Like you see mm-hmm. like another day, another plane, da, 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 da. like it's so because we've decided to kind of glamorize it as some new American dream or something like that Mm -hmm. until we're watching, you know, under the Tuscan sun or something. And someone's like escaping their life or like eat, pray, love. And we're like, you know, or like we're reading untamed to be like, it's God, there's got to be a different way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's funny because those seven years that I lived in Italy, I like knew intimately like la dolce vita, that beautiful way of life that, that has such a different rhythm. And yeah, I think you know, for the the decade or whatever that I was really building jungle, in a way I got lost in it. But mm-hmm. in a way I also got found in it, you know, but I'm just entering a different phase in my life now. So, you know, I, I don't regret like the hustling that I did. It it got me this amazing house that I'm sitting in that I love and and I learned so much and I think I've set a foundation for myself and 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 my work, you know, and I and I love that I have the flexibility now to be able to say, oh, I'm going to paint. And I don't know if anyone's going to care about these paintings, but I care about them. Yeah. And this is something that I'm interested in exploring more. And, you know, it's the trade-offs. And my 30s was very much about building this business and starting my family and all of that. And now I'm in my mid forties and I'm trying to figure out what this is going to be about. (laughs) What would you say is your, when you say it's intention and flow, what is the kind of latest intention you're setting for yourself? It really is around this conf, the, the not shying away. I think that for me has been a big unlock of how to be a person of integrity Mm how to really step into myself, how to honor myself and respect myself has to do with embracing all sides of myself. And I can't do that if I'm not willing to like be in the tough questions, which I feel like I have not been willing 
to look at for mm-hmm. a long time or, or not even really aware that I wasn't looking at them. Or, or we overcompensate for them, right? So instead of answering or sitting in that one tough question, we create 50 million things to do mm-hmm. that we have to get to before we could possibly make the time to do mm-hmm. that. You know, one of my mantras recently was, I don't want to be a busy body. I want to be a body. I want to just, I want to be a body. I don't want to be a distracted body. Yeah. That being I present, don't, you know, being present, I think is just so, so something I'm really working on. Like I, mm. I really did get to a point where I realized so many conversations I was having it was like I was having my own internal dialogue going on simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, this is not, this ain't it. Yeah. <laughs> like presence yourself, you know, connect with the person who's in front of you, connect with the moment that's right now. Meditation has been really instrumental for me in helping me with that. And I really had avoidance around meditating. Let me tell you. I was like, no. It's, it's hard to find that flow in that, that though. It is. It's it is. To I took a class. Now. I don't think I would have been able to do it without the class. So that was really helpful. Well, I want to thank you so much and, and for your presence with me today. I feel very lucky because I feel like I've been trying to catch up with you for like two months. And now I just <laughs> got to over a podcast. But... Where what I'm so grateful to and what I'm so happy to share with our listeners is this really vulnerable conversation from a leader in art and business who is really modeling how to love yourself while you scale and while you dream and while you do. And I know that I wish five years ago I could have heard you speak the way you spoke today. So I know that there's a younger me or honestly today it helps me too. So I know that there's so many people that this will kind of help be more gentle with themselves as they are going after the big thing. So thank you so much. Oh my gosh, Cleo, thank you. I have loved you for so long. I was so honored to be able to hang out with you and exchange ideas and thoughts and you're such a light. Thank you for having me. That's it for today's episode with Justina Blakeney. For more from Justina, head to jungalo.com. Thanks for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. I hope you'll listen, follow, rate, and review all of our episodes, which are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to the Goop Podcast.